as we look at these passages from chapter 1 down through verse 17, ask ourselves three questions. I'll ask you these questions now, and we'll ask them again at the end. For there's three words that I want us to look at throughout this. It is our identity, our inheritance, and our indebtedness. What do you identify with in this world? Where is your inheritance? And who are you indebted to? The first one we look at, those, those groupings are from Abraham to David. Abraham to David. And if you are familiar with the genealogies of the New Testament, you know that this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 does not match Luke's in Luke chapter 3. And this has caused many people to stumble over the years, saying, aha, you see, the writers of the New Testament weren't as smart as they thought because they got it wrong. Or you see, one of them goes through Solomon and the other one goes through Nathan, the children of David. They list certain people here and certain people there. But there's a reason for this. We'll look at Matthew's genealogy here and see that they go back as far as Abraham. And there is a reason for Abraham. You see, the pious Jews of Jesus' day claimed that they were children of Abraham. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9, as John the Baptist is preaching to the people and he's getting them to repent, he says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You see, in latching on to Abraham, they were using it in name only, but not in the true sense of what it was. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11, he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Again, drawing back on that name of Abraham to whom they were akin to. In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, Jesus having the conversation with the leaders of the Jews. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And if you drop down to verse 52 of John chapter 8, uh, as Jesus expands on this, he says, The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. What, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say, to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? 
Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus tells them that he had existed before 2,000 years ago when Abraham lived. You see, Abraham was born around 2000 B.C. The Jews knew very well the seed and the lineage that came up. They knew very well about Abraham from Genesis 11, 27 through 28. They would have known this. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of the father of Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldees. They would have been able to recite that verse perhaps forward and backwards, knowing the lineage of Abraham. And in fact, when Stephen gave the speech before he was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, 1 verse 4, and the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. So they understood Abraham. They understood him as their father. Even Paul claims this. Paul many times tells about his lineage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 through 22, he says, To my shame, I must say, we, were, we too were weak for that. But whatever else, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are you Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Abraham was the one whom they looked to as their lineage. Romans 4, verse 1 says, What shall we say when uh, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So when Matthew gives the genealogy in chapter 1 and begins with Abraham, he sets Jesus up as one whom they should begin to pay attention to, starting with Abraham. Because just as they claimed Abraham, Jesus was claiming Abraham as well. But Paul expands on this even greater when he says that they were children of Abraham, not necessarily, not primarily by lineage, but by faith. In Galatians 3, verses 7 through 8, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. It is obvious as we will read through the Gospels that the Jews of the day did not understand God's plan of salvation for man. They did not understand God's eternal plan that he was going to not only reconcile the Jews and those of Israel, but he was also going to reconcile the Gentiles to them. But he begins with the genealogy proving that Jesus was the one whom they had expected. For Hebrews 2.16 tells us that God's providence was going to protect those who are of Abraham. Hebrews 2.16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Not only genetically the offspring of Abraham, but you and I as offspring of Abraham by faith. It's not only the identity, but it is the inheritance. It says the next 14 was David to the deportation. And when they talk about the deportation, it is that time when Babylon came uh, to take the, uh, and ransack Jerusalem 
in AD 686. That won't be on the final exam, by the way, but that's the date. Through David's lineage, the kings descended. We have not only Abraham by faith, but we have Jesus as king as well. There are times in scriptures where they talk about the root of David or the key of David. Revelation 5 verse 5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. You see, the Jews knew their genealogies. That's the controversy today in which the Jews say there was no way that they could have known the genealogies at the time. But scriptures prove over and over that they kept very meticulous records of genealogies. You need only go back to the old law, the book of Leviticus. I believe Leviticus is one of George's favorite books because of the genealogies and the law. He says that a lot. It can be very tedious and tiring reading, but not for the Jews who had to claim their lineage, who had to claim what tribe they were from. As you come down to the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, as they were coming back from the uh, captivity back to Jerusalem, they had to prove if they were part of one tribe or the other, especially when it came to the priesthood. If you could not prove your lineage of the priesthood, you could not serve in the temple. So those who say there was no record kept, they were wrong. Now since AD 70, all of those records have been destroyed. So those who would make a claim cannot make that claim today. That's why we know that the priesthood in the physical form is never going to be established again in man. But we look at the Jews knowing their genealogies. In John chapter 7, verse 40 and 42, and as you go through the New Testament, these, these verses may seem insignificant or inconsequential to you as you come across them. But in John chapter 7, verse 40 and 42, it says, When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet, speaking of Jesus. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? You see, the Jews knew their genealogies. They knew exactly where the Christ was going to come from. If you drop down to John chapter 7, verse 52, it says, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They knew where the Messiah was going to come from. It was going to come from Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 through 6, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They were correct in saying that no prophet was going to come from Galilee, but they did not realize that because of the census, Mary and Joseph came back to Bethlehem. Therefore, 
Christ was born in Bethlehem exactly as the scripture had prophesied for it. They knew that the prophecy and the promise came from Judah. Going back to Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, when Jacob was giving his 12 sons the blessing, we come to the part where he speaks of Judah. He says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute, and some of your versions may say, until Shiloh comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. They knew that it was from the tribe of Judah that the king was going to ascend. That promise, they knew, was to come through the lineage of David. In 2 Samuel verses 7, 12 through 17, as David was being told about God's plan for him, he says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. You see... I call these little breadcrumbs that are dropped along the way for us to know. And knowing these verses from the Old Testament tells us that that lineage and that king was going to come out of Judah. And specifically through David. And David's lineage goes all the way through to Christ. It goes to the deportation. You see... The specific descendants are given. Listen to what Paul says about his lineage and how he lays hold of his lineage in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. And even though Paul does not claim to be from the tribe of Judah, listen to what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, and listen to what he says about his tribe, of the tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. So you see, even in Paul's day, he laid claim as someone from the tribe of Benjamin. People held these things dearly. But see, here we find that Jesus lays claim that he comes through that royal lineage of David. We come now to... How would we put this mildly? Perhaps one of the most tedious parts of it. Because we know nothing of the deportation time to the time of Jesus. Well, we recognize a couple of those names in the beginning of Jeconiah and Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Jerubal, and Zerubbabel of Ahud. But after that, they go into anonymity. And so it is with much of our genealogy. I mentioned before that... We may be able to go back three or four generations, but it is the rare person who could follow their lineage back five to ten generations. Even rarer still to go back 14 generations. If I were to ask, does anybody here have proof of their genealogy going back 14 generations? That's pretty typical. We just don't lay hold of that. 
But it was important to Jesus because in that we find our indebtedness for him. Where you see in verses 12 through 17, as we continued on to Zerubbabel, the father of Abihu, to Abihu, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Jesus would have known these. The Jews would have known these because it was written down for them. But it comes down to Jesus. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. All the generations for Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. I wonder if God knew that there were going to be those 14 generations in those three. I suspect he did. And we wonder, for those who are numerologists, is, is there a significance to those numbers 14? Well, it's 7 times 2. And 42 is the imperfect 6 times the perfect 7. But remember what Paul told Timothy and Titus. Don't get caught up in endless genealogies. You see, because the Jews of that day were going to lay claim that I was from this tribe or that tribe, that would elevate them up. And Paul says, don't get caught up in those endless genealogies. You see, the genealogies, while... It is fun, and it is informational for us to consider where we're from. I wouldn't deny you that if you would like to. That's okay. But Paul says there is a boasting point beyond our genealogies. Through, through the mostly unknown descendants, that promise was preserved. And you think of where you came from, your family your father and mother, your grandfather and grandmother through maternal and paternal, and then keep on going back in those generations. There is a debt that you have to them, good and bad sometimes, something that we can consider in our own lives as we raise our children and are influencing them, that there is a debt that we owe to them to bring them up in the nurture in the admonition of the Lord. Again, we looked at John chapter 7 and verse 52, and they cried, Are you from Galilee? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The obscure. You see, as Jesus was beginning his ministry, Matthew chapter 13, he has preached the parables of the weeds, the parable of the sower. He has explained it. And beginning in verse 53 of Matthew 13, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get these things? And they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see, many times we put a lot of stock and trade into our pedigree, into where we came from. 
And sometimes we like to lift ourselves up because of our pedigree. That my parents or relatives were this. Or sometimes we bring ourselves down because of the limitations of our family. And so it was with Jesus. They did not believe that Jesus could have the wisdom that he had knowing that he came from common people such as Joseph the carpenter and Mary his mother. They were obscure people. But God uses the obscure to accomplish his will. At one point, the people came to Jesus when the crowds were surrounding and said, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus looked to those people of faith that were following and says, these are my brothers, those by faith. We think of our family whom we are indebted to for bringing us up, for bringing us into this world and helping us. But there's a greater debt as we look at things. Our identity, our inheritance, our indebtedness. And so I ask the questions again. What do you identify with? Where is your inheritance? And who are you indebted to? Paul will, even though he would make boastings that he was a Hebrew of Hebrew, he was a Pharisee, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, he says, I count that all but loss. For his faith was in Christ. His family was now the church. I believe Paul still did love his physical family. It is obvious from that as he tells about how he would want all of Israel to be saved. But he realized that the great family to be a part of was the family of the church. For he says in Romans 10, 12, and Galatians 3, 28, and Colossians 3, 11, repeats it three times, it says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. We are all one. There's nothing that we can boast of that elevates us except being in Christ. You know, as we've begun this year, we're going to make a concentrated effort to build up the family. If there's one thing in this country that is in trouble, it is the family. And we're not going to cast dispersions on the many different families that are out there. But we would like to show from the scripture of how to build the family up, whatever that family is. We'd like the family of the church to be built up as well. And so looking at scripture of, of what God expects and demands of a family, what God expects and demands of the spiritual family as well. In your bulletin, if you did get one, you'll find that on the back of the outline is an article 
It's an article about the family. Don't be surprised if you'll find those articles each week to help in building up the family. You may say, I've already raised my family. I'm living alone. My wife and I, our grandparents, we don't have a family that lives with us. There is a part to play for everyone. For you see, that indebtedness that we have for our families still exists. We still owe those who are younger than us to guide them and help them along the way. You see, the family is in trouble in this country. And the place that they need to look to is the Word of God to find out how the family can be brought back. I hope that you'll be praying about this. I hope that you'll be studying about this. And I hope that you will join us as we read through the New Testament this year. And grab those devotionals and read with them with us. Our Wednesday night classes will be devoted to those devotionals as well. We want to show from the Word of God what God wants of us. Jesus says his burden is light and his yoke is easy. If you'd like to be a part of that family this day, if you are not, we stand ready to help in any way that we can, to encourage, to teach, to guide along the way. Whatever your need is, make it known as together we stand and sing. Let's be the time and God.